was talking yesterday, I guess it was, about imposter syndrome, which is when you yourself feel like you're not what you are either trying to be or what other people see you as, but it usually refers to you, how you feel about yourself. But another one that you hear, you know, just as often these days is uncanny valley. And that's, you know, you've heard it probably often on here. If you, if you've listened, uh, <laughs> should never assume that's the thing. I, I should never assume that somebody who happens to hear this has listened to this m- entire mess. But anyway, I've talked about the uncanny Valley before. It's not the exact opposite of imposter syndrome. I mean, it's not, it, it's not the exact reverse, but it's kind of similar because it's basically you seeing somebody or something else as an imposter. And it's not an exact reverse because it's like, it's not the same as not thinking it's authentic so much as it is not thinking that it's really, I mean, it is kind of imposter syndrome, but basically it's the examples that people use are androids. You know, cause I mean, imposter syndrome is, and I'm going to let that one go in a second here, but imposter syndrome, I don't think it's you feeling like you're a robot or an android. Like you still feel like a human, but it's like something something inside of you that like like doesn't feel like that human is the same version of human that other people are seeing or that you're trying to be. I think is a better way to put um, imposter syndrome. Whereas the uncanny valley, it's not so much a human acting like a different type of human as much as it is something that's not human trying to be a human. But I think it does happen with people. You know, I think that plastic surgery is a great example. Like when you see somebody who's had a bunch of plastic surgery, you almost always know. I mean, obviously there are subtle examples. And if you'd never seen somebody before the surgery, you're not going to know. But for the most part, you can tell. At the very least, there's a point with plastic surgery where you're just, you're past, you've, you've gone off the cliff. And now everybody can see it. And it could be something subtle, though. It's not just people who have gotten their faces really hacked up or, or who have really big DDs. <laughs> that might be my favorite. Like, as far as like stupid phrases for this show, I feel like uh, DDs. Because, I mean, it comes from double Ds. Not to explain a stupid joke, but it comes from, like, everybody used to talk about double Ds. I don't know when or how double Ds became just like the gold standard for boobs. But I mean, by the time I was a kid, like by the time I was conscious and like watching movies and, you know, paying attention to pop culture, I guess it's because the way it sounds, you know, it sounds good. Double D's. It's probably a phonetics thing, which is amazing. Like the idea that people's preference for tits might be based on the fact that <laughs> the cup size sounds good when you say double DDs, double Ds. It'd be amazing if yeah, everyone was brainwashed into preferring double Ds just because they like the way that sounds. Uh, you know, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised. But DDs. But, you know, when you see like a, a pair of like overly sized, you know, fake DDs, you... You know, it's, it's like it's crossed a threshold. 
And it's especially true with people's faces. But now we're seeing it where, you know, you're seeing a lot more. Of, I mean, obviously the ass trend has been big, which I'm not into. You know, not to get too lecherous here, but it's like I was always somebody who preferred a woman with a bigger ass. I always just liked that. Um, <laughs> I promised I wouldn't get lecherous, but I, no, that was just always something that I, I liked. Like even before, you know, because I remember like, like this is really getting in there, but like I remember going to porn sites that didn't even have a section for that. Like when I was a teenager, you'd go to porn sites and like it didn't even have a subcategory of like quote unquote big ass or anything like that. And so at some point it became its own category and now it's everywhere. It's, it's very popular. I mean, obviously people have always had a preference for it, but it is one of those things that socially or culturally got big. And people say that people say that's because of hip hop and all this stuff. I'm sure that played a role. You know, I'm not going to say that didn't play some kind of role. Of course it did, but that's not the, the only reason. <laughs> I've thought about this. But anyway, it's like, so we've started to see these like fake asses. And the whole point of me going off about my preferences and all this stuff is because like, I like, I like an oversized ass. Like, I, I think it's like a ratio thing or something. Like, it's like, uh, anyhow, never mind. But it's one of those things, though, where it's like a fake one is just not even remotely attractive to me. It's obvious. There's just nothing attractive to me about it. And it doesn't look right. It's sort of an uncanny valley effect where you see it and you're like, it's just something like it's, it has all of the components that are desirable, but there's just something about it that just is so off-putting. Like I want nothing. I don't even want to look at it. Like that's, I'm serious. Like I don't even, I wouldn't, don't even want to look at it. Like every once in a while I'll, I'll like be just doing something online, like not even looking up porn or anything like that, but I'll just be doing something and I happen to see a photo and it'll be some celebrity, often one I've never heard of, you know, uh, but uh, I'll just see like a picture and I'll notice like, oh wow, she's, she's very shapely. And then I, after a second or two of looking at it, I just immediately, something kicks in and it's very obvious that there's some sort of surgery involved. Like, or I, I'm even seeing it more and more with hips and that's, I, that might be the most disturbing one at all. There was somebody I saw recently, I don't know her name, some celebrity at one of these events and it was just, she, she had so obviously had some sort of artificial hip surgery of some kind. I don't even know. It's just, it's so fucked up, honestly, when you think about it. And it didn't, it just looked so awful. Like her hips were really wide, but you could just tell they were fake. And her, and it didn't even look like, you know, she had like a, a very tiny waist, but it didn't, didn't even look like somebody who was fit. Like it looked like something had surgically been done there too. She just looked that way all around and her face too. You could tell she'd had stuff done to her face and it's just, I mean, yeah, they're not androids, but it's like, it might as well be something like that. You know, uh. I didn't even try to listen to Timothy Leary ever. Like I wasn't one of those people who was into like Timothy Leary or Hunter S. Thompson. I don't even, I have nothing bad to say about it. I just never went through that phase. It never called to me. Like even when I first was a teenager trying out drugs and stuff, I just, I just didn't feel like I needed to be into Timothy Leary. But I was just, you know, I, I was on like a kick of like, this is probably like 2017. I had just been... You know, listening to like Robert Anton Wilson lectures, old Robert Anton Wilson lectures, and like kind of getting into that whole thing for a little bit. 
And then I thought, like, you know what? I'll, I might as well just see what Timothy Leary has to say. You know, I can't pretend that I'm too good for this guy who was obviously influential and pretty out there in a more conservative era. Like, I can't pretend that I'm too good to check out Timothy Leary. And I feel like it's better in a way to do that in my 30s, you know? it's be- That's my advice to young people. Wait until you're in your 30s. Don't listen to t- <laughs> don't listen to Timothy Leary now. Wait till you're in your thirties. You'll be you'll be right. Just check it out. Just see what it's like. <laughs> but anyway, something he said on there was he talked about how like wearing glasses makes you a cyborg. Like wearing eyeglasses technically makes you a cyborg. And I just laughed because that was good. I was like, that's a good joke. But it's also true. You know, it's technology. It's, it's technological augmentation that you actually believe you need. And some people really need glasses. You know, there's people who really can't see. And then some people who just wear them for decoration, which is a whole other thing. But Timothy Leary is saying, you know, well, wearing eyeglasses makes you a cyborg. I was just like, yeah, that's funny. But yeah, I'd never really thought of that. It's very easy to forget. It's like, I think I was saying that actually about something similar about haunted houses when I was saying, I was saying how like, it's funny how we think that like a ghost can't inhabit a computer, but you're pretty comfortable with the idea that a ghost can inhabit a house, which is technology too. You know, cause you think about like spirits or something like think about like before people had houses, like before people built like fully enclosed huts, even like when people were really out in the wild, like there's reason to believe people believed in spirits of some kind, you know, so many cultures, ancient and primitive, like they had a strong sense for spirits. And so you have to figure like there was a point in time where like some tribe, some group out there in, in primitive human history believed in ghosts, but didn't live in an enclosed house or, or hut or space. Like they lived a different way or, you know, and it's like when they moved into huts or houses, like, I bet there were people who were like, what are you talking about? Like a a ghost can't get in here. Like this is technology. Like we we're living in a house, you know, there's no way a ghost can get in here. And I feel like that's kind of how people feel about like laptops and computers and just not even, not even the computer itself. I didn't even mean that, but just like the internet, for example, like the idea of a ghost being on the internet. Cause people talk about like having experiences with phones. They talk about supernatural experiences with technology, but once you get into current technology, people think it's silly. And so their idea of a haunted house too, for example, is you know, Victorian mansion, a decrepit Victorian mansion, not a brand new condo, even though if you believe in ghosts, and I mean, I'm, I'm, this whole point is based on the idea that ghosts are real, you know, so if you don't believe in ghosts, just ignore all this. <laughs> but, uh, you know, like when you think about a haunted house, it's like a brand new condo could just as well be haunted as a Victorian mansion, but for some reason, like the aesthetic isn't as attractive to us or something. Like it almost feels like an uncanny valley effect or something when you think about it. But, you know, we're not limited. Like if you do believe in, 
let's get away from ghosts and just say something resembling supernatural phenomena because I don't know that it's truly supernatural, but it's like if you just believe that stuff happens that's inexplicable, creepy, mysterious, seemingly goes beyond just coincidence. You know, if you believe in that stuff, I mean, I think you kind of have to believe that it can inhabit anything. It can occur with anything. It's the reason why synchronicity happens sometimes when you're watching TV. Sometimes, like, it's it's one of those situations where your friend might say something to you. And that night you're watching a game show. Because I, I do feel there's something about trivia. And maybe that adds to the probability factor, although I don't really believe in that. But there's something about game shows where I've, I've experienced so much synchronicity with game shows, like reruns of game shows too, things like that, because I used to watch a lot of those. And the number of times that, you know, a question or an answer to a question would be something kind of obscure or unexpected, something that you wouldn't, not just a standard run-of-the-mill trivia question, it would bring up something highly specific. And it had been something that maybe I'd come across organically. Sometimes it happens, multiple. you know, sometimes there's multiple uh, synchronicities together, all that. And speaking of, actually, you know what? I was just telling the story on here about when my buddy and I went to Canada and how that trip was just filled with synchronicity to the point where we actually made a list of each one. I mean, one of them, one of the craziest ones was we were drinking on the porch of his cabin and there was a dog on the loose, like kind of a big dog who was barking, seemed really aggressive. And I just jokingly said, I was like, if that dog comes up here, I'm just going to punch it in the face. And then we went inside and we started watching the remake of, I think it was Escape from Precinct 9, one of those movies. I never get the title right. But we started watching that. And in one of the first scenes in the movie, this guy just out of nowhere punches this dog right in the face. Like he just punches it. And it's like, how many movies are there where a dog gets punched in the face? Like it's, it's like a very, it focuses on that. Right at the beginning of the movie, too. I was like, how many movies have guys just punching, like slugging a dog in the face? And then it's like the fact that I had just said that. And I mean, I, I'm not somebody, I, I don't fantasize about punching dogs in the face. I'm an animal lover. Like, it was just a joke because this dog was on the loose. I was just, you know, I don't need to explain what a joke is. But it's just like, I. It's the only time in my entire life I've even said the words or thought the thought of punching a dog in the face. And then it's like the movie movie we watch, the very first scene, I think it might even have been. So you have stuff like that, you know, and, but I mean, that experience, like it was a movie we rent. Like we happened to rent that movie and this dog happened to be on the loose, you know. It definitely seems to defy normal coincidence. But anyway, that whole trip, it was just filled with ex things like that. It was one after the other. And the other night I mentioned how the night before we left for that trip, we were drinking and then we went to his brother's room and put on a Sublime CD we found. And we're just kind of laughing, listening to Sublime for the first time as adults. And we listened to, I think, just the song Garden Grove, a pretty famous song. Uh, I'll sing the lyrics here. <laughs> no. um, but we, we heard that song and we're just laughing about it. And then... The second you cross the border, one of the very first things you see in Canada is Garden Grove Nursery. It's some kind of nursery, a place to buy plants. 
you know, we had no idea that was there. So it's like the first thing we see is Garden Grove and we just laugh because we were talking about that actual song too when we were listening to it. And I just, I mentioned that on here a couple nights ago, a few nights ago. And then earlier tonight, that same friend, Nick, he, uh, he messaged me and he was like, I listened to Sublime tonight and he doesn't listen to this show, I don't think. So it was just completely random. We were just like, uh, you know, we, we listened to Sublime on the ride home tonight and he said he had something to say about it. And I was just like, that's great. Like, it's, it's funny that like just a couple days after I mentioned, like, I haven't, I don't talk about Sublime. Here I am talking about it like two in two different episodes, but I don't talk about Sublime. Like he and I don't talk about Sublime. Like we drunkenly like had we we drunkenly listened to them and laughed and then had this synchronicity. I mentioned it on here today. He brings up Sublime out of nowhere. Like he hasn't. I guarantee you. Like this is the first time in probably like twenty two years that he's actually deliberately listened to Sublime. So it's just kind of funny timing. But, you know, what got me on this is just that, like, all of this stuff can occur with technology. But we're resistant to that for some reason. Like, we're resistant to it on an aesthetic level, and I get that. Like, it's a lot cooler, for example, to have a haunted house that's in an old antique style. You know, that's that's kind of how the image was formed in our mind, too. Like, by the time movies were around and that sort of thing, that's how haunted houses are depicted. So on an aesthetic level, that's our preference. Like we prefer things to be antique or or just look cool. Like some modern condo that has a ghost just isn't going to be as cool. But if you believe in anything like this, it doesn't have to be one thing or another. It could just be strange experiences. Like if you believe in strange experiences they don't really have any aesthetic limitation. You know, they can inhabit anything. They can occur with anything. They can be a game show on TV. They can be a text message. They could be a song coming on the radio. Somebody calling you. Sometimes even just online. I mean, I've had that experience before where like I just click on something and something comes up that it, you know, is just once again, a synchronicity like something that had come up earlier in the day and I just happened to randomly see it. Like maybe something comes in the news. So it's like this stuff doesn't care about the aesthetics. This stuff uses anything available or it, rather it occurs, you know, using anything available. But I do wonder sometimes about the resistance to new technology. And I wonder how much of that is sort of the uncanny valley effect or, or a similar sort of kind of feeling of dissonance like this isn't real there's something slightly off about this because I've never felt that way about just communicating online like I've never looked at the internet and been like you know for example like you think about a website especially like an information heavy website and like you don't think of that as like this is an android version of a book and it makes me uncomfortable you know, it's not like you see it and you're like, this is a robot version of a book. A website is a robot version of a book. And there's something about that that unsettles me. You just kind of accept that that's what it is. But you can see where like even academia, you know, professionals for many years, 
were telling you like you can't source the internet like when i was growing up like by the time people were actively using the internet it was heavily discouraged to use the internet as a source like even if it was from a reputable website they really pushed hard on the idea of putting websites in your bibliography like it had to be really good and that was true even when i was in college they used to say in my college classes because wikipedia was still pretty new and at that time, it was chaos. Like, Wikipedia was way more chaotic. I mean, now it's just kind of a propaganda arm. But at that point in time, like, it was really just a mess. Like, that was when people were just editing it. That was when you could create a page for anything. And so I understand, like, they, they pushed hard on that. Like, every single class was like, you can't source Wikipedia. But it was true for websites in general. There was just a lot of pushback. So it was like there was something about websites, maybe because anybody could just publish one, anybody could do it. I mean, it turns out books didn't have that much better standards than the average website. I mean, I think we're realizing that more and more now. But you can see where there was just this resistance. It was like, this is something new. And even though it conveys information, we don't really want you to use it yet. That was the kind of vibe you got. And then now, I, I mean, I imagine most most bibliographies today are probably links, probably hyperlinks. Like if you write a paper today, I imagine the vast majority of your references probably come from sites. But there, so it's like people themselves, though, organically didn't see websites and think like, you know, oh, well, this this is a, a poor imitation of a book and it makes me uncomfortable that it's almost like a book, but there's something off. You know, people didn't feel that way about it. They just kind of accepted it. So it's like the uncanny valley effect. It seems to pertain more to living things, I guess. And maybe that's how it's defined. Like maybe that's how the term is, is actually, maybe it's only geared toward that. I'm not sure. But it's like robots, androids, mannequins, anything like that that like looks almost real but not quite bothers people. You know, digi uh, digital images, like when something is created using CGI, when a person is made using CGI, that's the uncanny valley effect because there's something just kind of disturbing. But I, I do want to go back to plastic surgery and just body mod. And I mean, it's, it's a pretty, it's, it's a definitely a low hanging fruit. It's a, it's a low hanging ball sack. That's easy to kick. They'll like be like, what's up with plastic surgery? It doesn't even look good, but I do end up thinking about it sometimes. I mean, every time I see it, I think about it. And I, I, it's not, I'm not one of these people though, who judges them. Like I don't judge them for doing that. I mean, I do pity them in a certain way. But just when it goes too far, like when it becomes distracting, it's so fascinating to me because it just it shows you that there is this sort of slippery slope effect where people who keep getting it done, like it's almost like their sense of normalcy resets. And that tells you something about the way we see ourselves. You know, it tells you something about the way that we as individuals see ourselves, that people can butcher themselves and either not notice or not care because I mean... You know, you always think like they know what they did, like they know what they're doing, right? 
they know they've made themselves look freakish. But I do wonder because it's like your sense of normalcy kind of resets or it recalibrates where if you get your nose done, it's something relatively minor, but you notice it and you look in the mirror every day. After what? Probably like just a few months, you kind of forget what you used to look like. You probably, and, and I imagine too, people who do this probably don't look back at old pictures that much. I'm just assuming that because if they wanted to change themselves so bad, it must cause them like discomfort to like look back at themselves when they were unhappy with how they looked or something. But, but anyway, it's like their sense of normalcy resets where like they're looking in the mirror every day and each time they get some sort of plastic surgery done, you know, after a little while, like that becomes the new normal. Like they see that that's how they look. Like, this is how I look now. Like, it's not like they see themselves before all that and then as they are now. It's not like they have that point of reference in their face constantly to give them that sense of contrast. They just look in the mirror every day. And like, I mean, that that even happens with everybody. Like, if you've lost weight or anything and you, you kind of forget what it was like before and you have this new sense of normal. And I mean, that's been my experience getting into better shape is I sometimes forget the old shape I was in. And not even just like, not even when I was growing up and I was, you know, fat, not even just then. I'm just talking about like when I was just kind of average, in average shape, you know, like when I look back at that, like I forget what that's like. And it's very easy to like use my current state as my baseline because that's what I see every day. And I think that's, I mean, I, I do think like fitness and bodybuilding and all of that uh, just, physical development working out you know I, I do think that's not that dissimilar from what plastic surgery is trying to do i mean obviously because it's all body mod like working out is body mod lifting weights is body mod you know plastic surgery is body mod body mod body mod so it's a similar sort of thing and I, that's been my experience with fitness and i've heard this from actual bodybuilders like I wouldn't consider myself a bodybuilder, but from actual bodybuilders, like they see themselves as they are now as their new, their new normal. And they only see what they want to do. Like it's common for even just pretty jacked guys to look in the mirror and be like, oh, you're looking kind of scrawny. Or like they look at their arms and they're like, oh, you know, my arms aren't as big as I want them to be. And that's because that's their new sense of normal. Like if they could go back and see their current body through their eyes five years earlier, they'd be like, holy shit, I'm jacked. You know, holy shit, my arms are big. But because their sense of normal resets, they just see what they want to do. And I don't think that's always a bad thing. I think in, in the example of fitness, it's kind of what drives you. It's kind of been the fun of it. Like for me, fit, the fun of fitness is, is the fact that like I didn't plan on sticking to this or doing it even as much as I do. Like I had no intention actually of, of going this far. It was just, here's a little experiment. Oh, you know, that, that kind of worked out. I like doing that. Here's another little experiment of something I can do. And then you just work that into a routine and you, you know, you develop discipline around it. But it's like, I didn't plan on being as dedicated to it. I didn't plan on eating a significantly healthier diet. It was just one little thing here or there. 
But then like once I reached a certain point, instead of just resting there and saying, wow, I've actually done way more. I've dedicated myself to this way more than I ever expected. I'll just rest here. It's fun to be like, you know what? There's a little more I want to do. I want to push it a little further. Like we don't like to stagnate. You know, we as people, we don't like to stagnate. It's the, it's the reason artists, you know, when they've done something absolutely fantastic, they don't just go, okay, I did it. You know, some people do that. I mean, there's a rare person. I think there's something admirable about that when somebody can do something very well and accomplish something and then just walk away from it. But most people are like, oh, there's still something else I can do. I can still go further with this. And so I think that's actually a healthy mindset. And I mentioned on here recently, there's been this new campaign that has been trying to make fitness people out to be mentally unwell, like as if, you know, this is self-torture or something. And like, you know, yeah, I'm sure there's somebody who's overdoing it. But uh, that's really of nobody else's concern. Oh, you work out too much. You care too much about fitness. You know, it's that's really nobody else's business. So the fact that there's this campaign to kind of call it into question, it's a little funny to me. But I, my, my take is that all that's healthy. And it's not just in fitness, it's anything you do like that. You know, anything where you think, you know, I think I can take this a little bit further. Anytime you feel yourself wanting to do that, I think it's a good thing as, as long as long as you're you know coming from the right place. I mean, you know, if you're an arsonist, I would say no. <laughs> you know, but I, like I was just about to say, like too about artists, it's like when when somebody does something really good or a bunch of things that are really good, there's something in most artists that thinks, well, I want to keep going, I want to take it further, and that's a fun feeling to have. It's fun when you feel that way. It's fun to feel like you've accomplished something, but to also keep wanting to, you know, hey, I, I see room for even further improvement or to do something even better. That's a great feeling to have. But I don't see plastic surgery that much different as far as like what it's trying to do. It's completely different in its approach. Like you're just, you're paying a lot of money to have somebody cut you up with a knife for immediate gratification. And it actually makes people less and less attracted to you. Yeah, they find people. There are still people who, there are people who don't mind that. There are people who, who see that and are like, you know, I don't mind that she looks like an obvious plastic surgery victim. And I do think they're victims. They were given this option by science. Trust the science. Trust the science. I'll, they'll cut your nose off. Make you look like, you look like Michael Jackson, you know? I mean, that's what, anytime you hear trust the science, like that should be superimposed over pictures of Michael Jackson's face post-surgery, you know? Trust the science because it led us here. But no, it's, it's it, like people were given the option to do that. And it's not that I think plastic surgery should be illegal. I mean, it's here. I'd rather have legal plastic surgery than back alley plastic surgery. But oh, you want some plastic surgery, huh? Well, I'll, I'll punch you in the nose. That's what we call a, that's what we used to call plastic surgery where I grew up. I, I went to the school of hard knocks. And uh, if you ever messed with my family, we'd 
give you a little plastic surgery, rearrange your nose, you know. Uh, but uh, with plastic surgery and stuff, it's like it. I think part of it is that immediate gratification. Whereas the other things I'm talking about, you develop over time. Like it takes time to develop a skill. It takes time to get better at something. It takes time to build muscle. It takes time to get in shape. I don't just mean devoting time to it in the moment. I just mean it's something where the results appear in time. And sometimes they, they come in little bursts, which is those breakthroughs are really what keep you going. But, you know, so many things that are good for you are things that you develop gradually with time. You just stay focused on it and you get better. And so I think one of the reasons plastic surgery is so suspect and so many things are is because you just go in and do it and that's it. And that's kind of how I feel about psychedelics. I feel the same way about plastic surgery as I do psychedelics where psychedelics obviously have a profound effect on people and I would never take that away. They are obviously spiritually relevant. But when I see people focus too much on the psychedelic experience or that they think that itself produces the spiritual connection that they find when they're on it. It's too immediate for me. It's like, oh, you take this and you experience this. And I think sometimes that shocking contrast, like I think sometimes like the fact that a kid, a teenager, he grows up like with this, he's just living his life and, and doesn't really understand that he's locked into a certain kind of tunnel vision of reality and he takes, a, he takes mushrooms or he takes LSD and just the shocking contrast of how different the world you're in can feel. Like, I think that is a powerful experience and it might send somebody off on a, you know, on a different path than they would have been on otherwise if they had just stayed locked in, you know, and you can do a lot with that. And that's, that wasn't my experience. Like, I think, I think, I, I feel like I was already aware of something. And I, when I tried psychedelics and everything, like it was a, a crazy experience, you know, of course I would never take any, everybody who's taken psychedelics knows what that is, knows what that experience is like. And people do have deep spiritual insight on them, but a lot of people get really dialed into that. Like I've known a couple people, like not a ton, like I, I've known quite a few people who are into psychedelics. And I've known a couple people for sure, though, who it's like that becomes their thing. Like it becomes like their identity pretty much. And it's like what they're looking for seems to be spiritual in nature, which is why they trip all the time. But it's like it's but it's also it's very dependent on that immediate like it, the fact that it immediately sends you into that different place. Something about that just doesn't sit right with me. And I don't think it's the way to actually cultivate a, a deeper spiritual connection. And I, and I wouldn't say that, you know, I wouldn't, if, if somebody does feel that, I, I can't possibly argue with their experience. I just question that, I guess. It's not even me having some hardline opinion. I just kind of question that because I do think, you know, as above, so below, things that are good for you tend to be things that you know, or just the results develop in time. 
They're gradual. They have little bursts and this and that. So it's like anything where you just do it and you get the result right then. I don't know. It's like gambling. I mean, gambling is another version of that. It's like a financial version of that. And these things often tend to be vices. I mean, prostitution. You know, you pay somebody and you get that thing that you otherwise would have had to work for in some way. And not even in a stupid like, oh, you know, like... uh, you got to know the rules of the game with with women, man. You know, not even in some stupid way like that. I just mean, no matter what, like, if you... Even if you have a one-night stand, like, you have to put some work into that. Like, and even if it's not manipulative, I'm not even saying you have to do anything. You know, you know what I mean? It's like... But even just to get to that one-night stand, it's like you have to put in a certain amount of personal work. Whereas, like, you just go and you pay somebody... And have sex with them. You know, I don't think it's just, you know, pointless Christian moralizing that tells us that's a bad thing. I think it's one of those things that deep down we know. And Christianity is not alone in its opposition to that way of living. You know, you find it everywhere. Same thing with porn. You know, I mentioned porn earlier, so I might as well mention it again. It doesn't come up much on here. But a lot of people deep down feel that they're doing something wrong. And it's not because they were ever shamed into thinking that way. People want to act like society is just this omnipresent force. You know, I didn't grow up in a household or a community for that matter where people really harped on that ever. Like one time a kid brought porn magazines to school and hid him in the woods because the woods was just where you put porn, you know? And some other kids snitched him out. And I still think about that kid doing that. The fact that a kid went to the recess teacher and he was a kid I liked, you know? He was, he was a kid that I actually liked, but the fact that he snitched blows your mind. Like if somebody has porn in the woods, I better go tell the teacher. But... um you know, obviously it's like you're not allowed, you weren't, like obviously we weren't allowed to have it at school. Like you had to hide it in the woods and then some kid snitches you out and then the teacher comes and confiscates it. It wasn't me who brought the porn. But, you know, obviously porn wasn't encouraged in the climate I grew up in. But outside of the kids whose parents were very religious, no parents really talked about it that much. It was kind of like a don't ask, don't tell policy, I think. Where it's like your parents aren't going to want you watching porn. Like they don't like the idea of it. But the reality is that you're going to kind of come across it. So I don't feel like anything was ingrained in my head to think that there's something wrong with porn. I don't think that society conditioned me to feel that way. If anything, the opposite. If anything, I feel like society during the time that I grew up in was doing more and more to normalize porn. I would say absolutely that's the case. Like when I look back on it, like MTV True Life, like the, like back in the 90s, MTV did these documentaries on porn sets where they talked to porn stars and they just seemed like normal people. They showed what it's like to actually be in that industry. You know, it was all over magazines and there was, I mean, soft porn was everywhere. Stuff that was, you know, everything that was R-rated had kind of a like a pseudo-pornographic aspect to it, like sex scenes were in every movie. 
I don't feel like there was that much of a stigma against it. Yeah, you still heard people, you know, there were still certain interest groups who didn't like it. At that point, feminists, which is funny that we've gone, you know, 180 degrees where it's like now feminists are like super pro porn, at least in my experience. But, you know, feminists used to be the ones opposed to porn. And Christian evangelicals, of course, were opposed to it as well. But outside of that, you, you know, it's, you really didn't, there wasn't that much stigma. But as an adult, just over the years, like as my head's kind of cleared, there's something just dark about it. And none of that old school, because the, the stuff that like old school feminists used to complain about was, I mean, like the Linda Lovelace sort of thing where it's like she was basically a sex slave. You know, they basically got women on drugs. They got vulnerable women and abused them and manipulated them. That was one of their angles at the time. But now you don't really hear about that, even though it's still relevant. Like, that's a, that's kind of the crazy thing is, I guess, like, the good part about, like, the modern world and, like, the amateur porn world on the Internet is that, like, they don't necessarily need, like, a pimp. They don't need a... They're not going to be like at the mercy of a sleazy producer or director or porn industry executive. You know, they're less at the mercy of that. But I don't think the type of women is that much different. I mean, there's a lot more normal girls doing it. But they're still like like extremely messed up people who are resorting to that. And I don't know. I, I wonder how people really feel about it. Because, you know, at some point, like, things kind of crossed a threshold. I, I would say it's definitely been in, around the last 10 years where it became cool to like porn. Like, it used to be something you might talk about with, like, your closest guy friends or your girlfriend, maybe. But I remember, like, being out with, like, couples probably, like, a decade ago. Or, yeah, about a decade ago. It was like some sort of like couples hanging out at a bar thing, which is never my thing. Like I never, it's never a good sign to me when a bunch of couples get together and, you know, and especially when I'm one of them, you know, that's always the worst. <laughs> but, uh, I remember people just like talking about porn. They were like, Oh, I was on you uh, porn last night. And like, there was this video that was like this. And I was just like, huh, like, like adults just get together and talk about, cruising porn sites and I don't know it became kind of cool I felt like especially for girls like girls like took a much more open interest in porn not just producing their own porn not just doing like amateur cam girl stuff but just I, I, I noticed a shift where like girls were talking about porn all the time I'm not even kidding and so it became kind of cool to like be into to, to admit it because I think kind of starts as that where it's like everybody does it dude <laughs> everybody does it dude <laughs> it kind of started as that where it's like you might as well admit it because we all know the internet was created for porn dude you know you know it was kind of that vibe and then i think at some point though that kind of crossed into like just being like no I, i'm really into porn like i'm a porn fan and you end up at like couples nights in liberal towns or people are just like, oh, we were watching you porn. <laughs> hey, we were watching you porn last night. Cindy and I were watching you porn last night, and we saw 
it was a man tied up. You know, it was like that was the sort of conversation they were having. And it wasn't like a it wasn't like they were saying it in some sort of like orgy sort of way. You know, it wasn't like they were saying it because they were like trying to cultivate some sort of like uh, orgy energy at this couple's night out. You know, it wasn't like that was what they were trying to do. It just to them, it was just what you talk about. And, it, and it's not like I'm a, a complete prude. Like, I'll, obviously, I talk about everything on here and like to all my friends or most, you know, I'm pretty much fine talking about anything, honestly. It was more just significant. It wasn't that I was offended. It was just significant because I was because that pattern would repeat over and over again. In the last decade, we can see how things are now where porn's just like right out in the open. Well, porn's just right out in the open. But the whole reason I'm talking about it is that I feel like as an adult and like as I've just kind of settled into more of who I am, I find something very shameful about looking at porn. It doesn't feel right. It kind of feels exactly like I'm talking about. It's like psychedelics or I've never hired a prostitute, but it's it gives me the same kind of plastic surgery. I've never I've never gotten plastic surgery either, but it's like my feeling about all those things seems to be the same. And they're all things that you can do instantly. If you have the resources, you can just do those things at any time. And it's, there's something about it, though, where you're kind of like, you know, this, there's something that doesn't feel entirely right about doing this. And porn is definitely one of them. And it's interesting that the whole movement has developed around this. Like a lot of young men who grew up with total access to porn. Because I'm of the generation, you know, when you think about like when I grew up and like when I got access to the internet, I'm really the first generation to have constant access to porn. And I didn't, I wasn't as into it, I think, as some people. But even then, like my access to it was so much greater than like what the previous generation or the generation before that, you know, having that much access to it was insane. And it's actually kind of crazy that I wasn't more into it. Like I had a friend in high school, wasn't a loser or anything. And he he was just a friend of mine. And like, you know, yeah, he I, I knew he was kind of pervy a little bit. But I was over at his house and he like busted out this CD case and he had like 50 CDRs with porn on them. And not just like each one was a movie. I think it was like one of those, they were like data CDs. <laughs> I think there were like tons of porn videos on each one. And I was just like, what are you, what are you up to? You know, it was just like, what, what do you get up to in your spare time? I mean, like. It was all kinds of stuff too, and like I remember being like really fucked up at his house. He was having a little get together and in, in high school, and I was just like really fucked up. I think I was on Robitussin actually. I think yeah, I'm, I'm positive. I drank a, a bunch of DXM Robitussin, and so I was really fucked up. And we were watching these like, and it, it was like all that. It was really stuff that I don't like. You know, it was like. All that like gagging, I don't, I don't even want to get into it, but it was like all that kind of stuff, like lots of slobber. I'm sure there was some Max Hardcore on there. I'm positive, actually. So I was just really fucked up watching that. and just. But it, it, it wasn't even the porn, you know, because it's like I was no stranger to porn. It was the fact, though, that like my friend had like 50 CDRs like of data, like data CDRs, which is tons of porn on it. I'm just like, 
at that time, like, it's like I, I just go to a porn site, you know, and then that's it. Like, I can't imagine, like, having hard copies of all that stuff. And, like, you know, because the first porn that I ever had was uh, I never bought a porn movie or anything. But this tape made its rounds. It was the best of Jenna Jameson on a blank VHS. Like, somebody had taped it maybe from the Spice Channel or something. I don't know. Or just dubbed it. It was the best of Jenna Jameson. And, like, I know that I was the third person to get a copy of it. Like, I know that this, not even just a copy. Like, I know that my copy had belonged to two other people before me. I'm not even kidding. Like, and that kid, the first kid probably got it from somebody else. And you know what? Actually, it probably had made its rounds for a long time because it was like, you could tell it was an older model of blank VHS. It was really bulky. You could tell it was like an early blank VHS, like not one that they would have sold at the time that I got it. So it probably had made its rounds for a while. And it was like old Jenna Jameson footage and all that. So it was like, that's what you were dealing with sometimes. Like a third hand or, or th three plus people had probably had that thing. And, uh, but that was out of necessity. Like that was before the internet. You know, that was before we had the internet or anything. So that was out of pure necessity. But the idea of like after everybody already has access to the internet, also having like hard copies of like 50 fucking things. It just blew my mind. But yeah, it's like this whole movement has developed though of, of like the the age group, my age group, and maybe a little bit younger are the people who have had more access to porn for a longer am amount of our lives than pretty much any generation. Like most of the people who are my age, born in the mid-1980s, have had total access to porn for the last, whew, like, at least 20 years, Twenty, probably close to 20, 20 plus years, let's put it that way. And that's crazy. That's crazy. Like the fact that like for 20 years, everybody who's my age could just go to a website and find exactly what they're looking for and all kinds of other stuff. That does something to people, that's for sure. But then there's been a whole movement against that. There's a lot of young men now, or not, not even just young men, but I would say, yeah, I mean, I'm a young man. I'm definitely a young man. So it's a movement of young men. And this, you know, I had no idea this was going on. I don't pay attention to this shit. But we've seen where it's developed, where like there's this whole like anti-masturbation. And it's not all religiously motivated either. These otherwise secular young men who had total access to porn are now completely against it. And not even just porn, they're against masturbation. And you think about masturbation where it's like you don't do any work for it. You might feel like you're doing work for it, but it's another example of this instant gratification and you can see the diminishing returns. And it's like life tells you how much you should do something based on diminishing returns. Every single guy knows that if you jerk off more than one time a day, it's less pleasurable each time. And that goes for like doing it every day. Like every guy knows that if you jerk off every day, it gets significantly less pleasurable. And, so, and, and there's a lot of people who do that, more than that.
And so that alone should tell you something. Like people say, listen to your body. Well, masturbation is a good example where it's like the more you do this, the less pleasurable it is, the more uncomfortable it often is, the longer it takes. It's a waste of time. You're doing something that's going to take you a longer amount of time to get less pleasure, which is uh, supposedly the whole point. Like the diminishing returns alone should tell you you should at the very least not do it often. And that's eating, you know, I mean, the diminishing returns of eating. Like if you are truly hungry, you know, it's extremely satisfying when you sit down and eat. If you binge eat, it gets less and less pleasurable with each handful you put in your mouth. Like think about eating a bag of potato chips, potato chips. Think about eating a bag of potato chips. You know, think about that. It's like when you initially open up a bag of potato chips, and I love potato chips. I haven't had them in a very long time, but I love them. Just because I don't have them doesn't mean I don't love them. But uh, when you open up a bag of really good potato chips and like you first start eating them, it's just, it's incredible. It's, it's truly incredible. <laughs> it is. <laughs> you know, and, uh, but like, if you're like me, I mean, the reason why I don't have potato chips anymore is because I will eat the entire bag in one day, one sitting sometimes. Like I've talked before about how like at night is when I, if I don't catch myself, I will binge eat unapologetically. Especially if I've been working out, I will just keep going. And so if I have a bag of potato chips at night and I even touch them, because I'm, I'm the kind of person, it's like with drinking. It's like the same thing I realized with drinking, where it's like not drinking at all is incredibly easy. I never want to be overconfident about it because maybe there will be a point where it's it doesn't feel very easy, where I do feel compelled. But I haven't drank in like four years and... Zero is easy. Like not having a single drink in that time is incredibly easy for me. It's been that way at least. But my experience when I was drinking and one of the reasons I had to quit is because if I have even one drink and I don't have any more, it's not that I can't stop myself. Like when I was drinking all the time, like I would drink one drink sometimes. Like sometimes you'd be out with a coworker and you just have one drink. You know, there's plenty of situations where I just have one. And I could, you can stop yourself. It's like my, you know, I'm not, I wasn't one of those drunks who, and I don't even know if I would call myself a drunk. I just, when I drank, I drank to excess and I started doing that more and more often. I'm black, you know, I started blacking out every time I drank almost. And, uh, which was sometimes multiple times a week. Um, other people have a worse problem. Mine was getting pretty bad, but anyway. You know, I could have just one drink. I, I was always able to stop myself in that situation. If I'd had three or, you know, four, at that point, I'm just going to keep going. But I could stop myself at one drink for sure. And I did often. But I would feel deprived. Like my brain would think you're depriving yourself of more. And like my brain chemistry didn't change after one. Like I've known alcoholics who one beer completely changes their brain chemistry and they start acting not like super drunk, but just kind of fucked up, confrontational. 
Like I knew somebody in particular and she would have one drink. She came from a, a family of alcoholics, severe alcoholics, and she would have one drink and immediately get, there was just this hostility and recklessness. It was really weird. And I've known a, a few people like that and I've heard about it too. I've heard about there's some drunks who one drink changes their brain chemistry that didn't happen to me. Like one drink didn't like I was the kind of guy, I was the kind of drinker. I didn't expect this to be a drinking monologue, um, an ex drinkers monologue. But you know, I was the kind of drunk like even up right before I quit, where like I'd be drinking all night, and nobody would think that I was that drunk. Like people would just think, "Oh, you're totally fine." And then I would hit that blackout stage, and that's where people were like, "Oh, you were so fucked up last night." You fell, you did this. I started to fall more often. I'd just be more obnoxious, at least by my standards. Like talking too much is just being obnoxious. But uh, it was one of those things, though, where it was like I could, uh, I could be like 10, 12 drinks in and people wouldn't – they might know I'm a little bit drunk. They might know that I've been drinking. But it was like people always told me like, oh, you seem completely fine. But then it was like once I crossed that threshold. So for me, it was just volume, really. But even though one drink didn't change my brain chemistry, it was enough to make me want to keep drinking. Whereas zero never made me feel that way. And I could actually go periods of time without drinking at all. But it was like if I was going to be drinking at all, it meant that I wanted to keep drinking. And that's the same thing with potato chips as well, where I just... No matter how good my discipline is, if I have something like that around, if I have potato chips, I will start with a handful and then I'll turn into this, my brain will basically shut off and I don't, I have, and I have no issue just getting up and going to the pantry back and forth all night. Like I just have no issue doing that, especially with certain things. So it's like it's much easier to have no potato chips than just to have some. It's much easier to not eat pizza at all than to think that I can just eat a piece at a time or two pieces at a time. Like pizza is another thing where if I have pizza, if it's a big pizza, I would think nothing of eating half of it at once, you know, and I'm just going to I'm going to be thinking about it. So it's easier not to have it. And I don't feel deprived. That's the interesting thing is I don't feel, in all of these examples, I don't feel deprived when I have none. I feel deprived when I have a little bit and I want more. So it's interesting that it takes having a little bit to have that deprivation feeling kick in. But uh, somewhere the uncanny valley idea got lost. Everything got lost, actually, in the last 10 minutes. But the Uncanny Valley effect, you know, it's it's something that's... I, you know, I kind of know where what got us here, which is talking about just instant gratification. And how that's what plastic surgery is. That, to me, is what drinking is. It's what masturbation can be not always i don't think it always has to be that and i think all these things they're not always things they're not all inherently bad like obviously plastic surgery like people who get 
disfigured, people in accidents, even just people who want a cosmetic change, like they're allowed to do that. And, uh, you know, so it's not like all of these things are inherently bad. Like I'm not against drinking. I would never talk shit on drinking. It's not good for me. It's not good for a lot of people. But ever since I quit, I've made it a point where it's like, I'm not out to demonize drinking. I don't want to play that game. Because it's very easy to quit one game and think you have to play the opposite or join the opposite team. And it's like, when I quit drinking, I didn't become anti-drinking. I'm not anti-potato chip. Hey, you know what? I'm not even anti-potato chip. I'm not anti-masturbation. I mean, I think there are some things that aren't good for you that you can learn to do in moderation. But it's interesting when people, and it's often people who have done it to excess, when they figure out that something's not good for you. And it's almost always a vice, and vices are almost always something that gives you immediate gratification. And so this, the fact that young men have realized porn's not good for them. You know, because there are plenty of examples of people who get way too into psychedelic drugs, and it's obvious why that's not good for them. Plastic surgery is obviously not good for it. It's, it's obviously not good for you when you get yourself completely hacked up and you give people this uncanny valley effect when they look at you. So I think there's something inside of us that kicks in. And it's, you know, with the plastic surgery thing, it's not that we look at people who have had too much plastic surgery and we hate them for it. It's just there's something deeply unsettling about it. Similar to that uncanny valley. And you have to listen to that, but not go too far. I mean, that's the thing. Like, it's very easy to see all this stuff and go, you know what, I'm... You don't want to end up the thing that you were rebelling against in the first place. I think you want to, you want to be careful about that. Like the fact that young men have realized porn isn't so great for you. And masturbating too much definitely isn't. You don't want to suddenly become too much of a prude. Because you were rebelling against those people at one point in time. Like so many people I know just laughed at the people who were anti-porn and mocked them while indulging in all that stuff. And they were like, you guys don't know what you're talking about. And then some of those people have had to re you know, recognize, whether they admit it or not, that those people were a little bit more right than maybe you thought they were. Like those Christian evangelicals, those old school feminists. Like I think a lot of young men, whether they admit it to themselves or not, are recognizing that, oh, those people had points. Like I might not have agreed with everything they were saying, I might not have agreed with their approach, but you know what? I think those people might have had a point about it a little bit, some kind of point. But you sometimes have to do those things to excess to know what it's all about. And I feel fortunate that that is not my relationship to porn. I don't feel like I was ever, I don't feel like I ever used porn to excess, but based on the stand, like, I mean, on a 1950s standard, I did. It's just compared to my peers, I definitely didn't. But like them, and independent of them, I've kind of come to the same conclusion about it. 
And it really does. It comes from just this deep feeling that this isn't entirely right. I shouldn't be doing this. Don't make a habit of this. And I wonder if people who get too much plastic surgery end up feeling that way too. Like, because that's the stuff that's scary is just when you're in too deep. When you've gone past the point of no return. Because that's the unique thing about cosmetic plastic surgery is it's what I was getting at at the beginning, which is that there is a very clear point of no return where when people see you, they will immediately think that you're fucked up looking. And some of those people keep going from there. That's the crazy thing. There was somebody I used to think was hot. I'm trying to remember who she was. I'm trying, I can't remember. She's some blonde celebrity who was around in the 2000s, the first decade of the 2000s. I want to say she was on a reality show. I don't remember which one. But she was pretty. Like, I remember, like, I wasn't, like, a huge fan or anything. Like, I, but just whenever I would see her, I'd be like, oh, yeah, she's pretty. She's... She's a, she's a perfect blonde. You know, she had like that perfect blonde look. Blonde. Blonde. But, uh, and then I saw her in recent years somehow. Like, I don't, she's not really in the spotlight anymore. But I saw a picture of her recently and I didn't even think it was her. I didn't recognize her. And I think all I, I could, all I could really see that she had had done was she had her nose reduced. She had a nose, uh, what's, is that rhinoplasty? I can never remember what the term is, but. Yeah, you know, she had a her nose shaved down, and it just, it looked so bad. Like she looks so bad now. Now she definitely had other stuff done. Now that I think about it, like her cheeks looked weird, and I saw that actually recently too. Like when I was on my Danzig kick about a month ago, I saw where like he has a girlfriend because it's it's very rare to hear about Danzig having a girlfriend. You know, we all we all love her. <laughs> we all want to know what's going in going on in his life. Uh, but it, it's very rare to hear about like Danzig having a girlfriend and it being public, but it turns out he's dating some, I think she's, she's probably like in her thirties, but she's like a significantly younger, like what they would call an Instagram thought, which is, I, I don't use that word, but she definitely falls into that category and her face, like you could tell that she was originally very pretty. You could tell she was kind of just that perfect blonde girl. And, uh, but her face is really wide and fucked up looking like her cheeks are very fake. Like she's clear. Her face is clearly, they've done all kinds of things to it. And she has one of those bodies too, where like her hips and her ass look very fake. Her shape is artificial. It's an uncanny Valley thing. Cause I saw this picture of them. I saw this picture of Danzig and his girlfriend. And I'm sorry that I'm sorry that I'm criticizing Danzig's girlfriend. If he ever listens to this, I'm, I'm really sorry. <laughs> but, uh, but I saw this picture of her, and it's like she's one of those people where at first glance, you're like, oh, his girlfriend's hot. And then like once your eyes actually settle on what you're seeing, you're like, oh, no, it's, it's the Uncanny Valley. There's something wrong with her face. Her shape is really artificial and weird. So it's that sort of thing. And so there's this point of – and so she was clearly past the point of no return. Because you see her and you're immediately distracted by the way she looks. It's almost like Down syndrome or something where it's just like they all look the same. 
you know, where it's like everybody who's had plastic surgery, like they very rarely end up looking unique. They almost look related. It's like how everyone with Down syndrome looks like a sibling of each other. It's, it's kind of like that, where it's like people who have had plastic surgery all end up looking like the same species at the very least. And you just wonder, you know, it's like, what, you know, deep down, do they know it's wrong? But then what do you do when you've done something like that that's permanent? It's not like masturbation where you can just stop masturbating. It's not like drugs where you can just stop taking them. It's not like your diet where you can change that. It's something that you've done permanently to yourself and it becomes your new normal. And clearly a lot of these people, after achieving this new normal, just keep going further and further. But deep down, they have to know. They have to know that something has gone haywire. And it, it is almost like a walking psychological disorder. And I'm not trying to be mean, you know, I'm really not. It's just, you see that and it's like, I sometimes think about that, like things about yourself physically communicate to people what you do. Like when somebody sees you, depending on how you look, they can immediately learn something about you. And I mean, I'm not, uh, you know, you think about somebody who's very heavy, like somebody who's noticeably overweight. I don't, I don't think this as I see them. But like, if you actually think about it, it's like, oh, that person's appearance gives me insight into what they do at night. Like that person eats a lot. Like, I know that that person goes home and eats a lot. And probably a lot of bad stuff. Because it takes actually, a, you have to eat a lot to get to that point. And so they, they spend a significant amount of their time at home snacking. A significant amount of their day. And I, and I know they probably don't move around that much. They probably watch a lot of stuff. You know, it's, it's not a judgment. It's simply you can learn about somebody's lifestyle by how they look. It's harder with just average people. I mean, I think that's sort of the nice thing about just being average is that nobody can really tell what you get up to. I mean, there's a lot of people who, like, they, you wouldn't be able to tell if they exercise or not. They're just, they're in shape, but you can't even tell what they do. You wouldn't be like, oh, that person spends a lot of time lifting weights or doing this. Like, you just see them and it's kind of like, oh, that person could actually do anything with their time. Because, I mean, when you see a bodybuilder, it's like, well, that guy spends all of his time in the gym and probably all of his time eating, too. <laughs> you know, in that way, it's like, like you see a guy who's really jacked and you're like, oh, that guy spends a lot of his time eating in addition to just like lifting heavy things in the gym. You, you learn something about that person's lifestyle. But, I mean, I think it's the same is true for just like what's going on with people mentally, obviously. Like just the way that they decorate themselves or don't. And plastic surgery. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you can call that decoration. I think that goes beyond decoration. Plastic surgery is not decorating yourself. It's actually undecorating yourself, if you ask me. You're taking parts of yourself away. And I guess something about that too, you know, I, I didn't even mean to go here with it, but something about that seems blasphemous to me. Something about it seems like you're defying the way that 
you know, that whether you, it doesn't matter even what you believe in. You don't have to believe in God. You can just see it as, you can see yourself as a phenomenon of nature. But you're really defying that. And yeah, somebody could point out all the different ways that we all do that. But something about plastic surgery to me, I didn't mean for this episode to be such a a harsh criticism of plastic surgery and to talk about it so much. But it is, it's a really good example of like sort of an uncal- uncanny valley effect person to person. Because when we see them, it's almost like, oh, I almost want to find them attractive because they've taken these measures to make themselves more they made an attempt to make themselves more superficially attractive. But when you actually look at them, you kind of do feel like you're seeing an Android. And for me, it, it kills my interest. You know, for me, it's like, I wish that I could appreciate it, but I just can't. And so you, it does give you this sort of uncanny valley effect as if you were looking at an Android, a cyborg. And you think about other ways that people modify themselves too, and I'm not even going to get into it because I don't feel like getting any more controversial today. But, you know, a lot of people are modifying themselves right now in many different ways. And sometimes those people give me the uncanny valley effect too. Where I think, like, I know what you're trying to do, but it just... it doesn't convince me and it just kind of makes things feel a little unsettled. And I mean, that that's even just the sort of thing I talked about where like when somebody's wearing a fashion item, but they're, it, it clearly, they're clearly not ready for it. <laughs> like they're not ready. Like I, the example I used is there's these people who were in the evergreen documentary that's on YouTube like when, when Evergreen had its meltdown in 2017, there was a group of people that were featured very prominently and they were sort of leading the charge as far as the riots and takeover went. And I see them around town here. There's two of them in particular, but they kind of have a group of people who are sometimes with them. And like one of the friends was this girl, like she, you know, she looked like somebody who's figuring herself out, like green hair, nerdy glasses, but she was in a, this big leather jacket. And it was just, it, it just looked so, it looked like a Halloween costume, you know? Like, not everybody can pull off a leather jacket. And I just, I saw it and I was like, oh yeah, that, it really, it, it stands out. It's, it's almost like wearing, um, yeah, it's like wearing a costume or something. And we've all had that experience ourselves where we try to wear something and we just know that we're not ready to wear this or we're not meant to wear it. And you feel like people notice that. Like, people can tell. It's like when you get a bad haircut. Like, it's always funny to me, like when somebody gets a bad haircut, like if you work with them or you're in school with them, like you can tell that they know they got a bad haircut. Even if it's just something minor, you can just tell that they know and you know, like you can see that it's a bad haircut. It's kind of the same thing with like fashion items where like somebody's clearly trying to make something work or wear something, but it's just, it's not working and it actually stands out that much more. So I saw this girl from the... She was hanging out with these people who were in that documentary. And I would mentioned to my friend Miles, I was just like, yeah, it's, it's always so funny because he and I have always talked about this sort of thing. And I was like, yeah, it's just that sort of, I was like, I saw those people because he knew who they were. And I was just like, I saw those people and like there was one of them and they were just wearing this really like 
awkward leather jacket, like a biker jacket, but new. It was like a brand new, like motorcycle leather jacket. And he was like, it sounds like the leather jacket was wearing her, and was, which is really funny, but that's the perfect way to put it. Like when you see somebody wearing like a fashion accessory or an item of clothing that just doesn't work for them, it is like that item of clothing is wearing them. Like they are secondary to that item of clothing. Whereas some people can just pull it off. Like some people you'll see in a, in a leather jacket and you're just like, they're wearing that same leather jacket even. And you're just like, wow, like they look the part, like that fits them. They're able to pull that off. So it's always funny to me that we as human beings can like see that in somebody else. Like we can see the discomfort. We can see that that doesn't work. And like when we ourselves are in that position, we know that it doesn't work too. And it's like, fuck, now I have to wear this leather jacket. Like I would feel that way. Like, like I remember having like a fleeting thought at one point where I was like, what if I got a cowboy hat? And I, I mean, I shot that idea down right away, but because I, I, I know that the feeling would be that. Like, think about me walking around in a freaking cowboy hat. Stupid. I think I saw him at a store. I think I was at, like, Cabela's or something, and I saw the cowboy hat section, and I was like, you know, I think I tried. That's what it was. I think I tried one on, and I was like, this looks kind of cool. <laughs> you know, I was like, it, it, I feel kind of cool, like, looking in the mirror at Cabela's wearing a cowboy hat. Maybe I'll buy one. And then I just thought about it, and I was like, I can't do that. It's going to be a distraction. Everybody's going to notice it. Stupid. I don't even need to explain why me wearing a cowboy hat in this part of the country being the person I am is a stupid idea. And it's because of that. Like people would see it and they'd be like, looks like that cowboy hat's wearing him. And I'd walk around just thinking, I bet everybody's looking at my freaking stupid cowboy hat. But that's that itself is almost like some sort of uncanny valley thing. I know I'm being very generous with the definition of that, but it is that same sort of thing, though. It's like basically something is distracting and it bothers you and it doesn't fit. Something that your fellow human being is doing. I'm sure there's some, there's probably pictures online of some celebrity who's been butchered by plastic surgery wearing a cowboy hat and a leather jacket. That person's like the, the perfect embodiment of this episode, the manifestation of this episode. But yeah, it's one of those things where we're really bothered by something that seems as it, it's, it's like the closer it is to the thing that it's trying to be, the more disturbing it is when it's not. That's the definition of the uncanny valley, basically, is you know, when something is very close, because when something is very different, we don't feel that way. Like we don't feel that way about just a robot that doesn't look like a human. Even if it has a humanoid shape, even if it moves like a human, if it looks like a robot, we don't really get that bothered by it. It's when something almost seems real. Or if you've seen those robotic animals they make, I don't even know what they are, but there's these robotics companies now that make these walking robots that walk on all fours and their movements are very lifelike. Like they move almost like a big cat. Like they move like a panther or, or a, a cougar. And when you see them, it, it is that sort of uncanny valley. On one hand, it, it doesn't look like anything. It looks like a robot. It doesn't even have a head. But the way it moves is almost like a real creature, but it makes it that much more disturbing that it's not quite, it doesn't quite have the full effect of a real creature's movements. But it's, it's so similar that it, even just the movement alone does kind of disturb you. 
And we as human beings just, we create this. Like one of the things that we do continually is make things that are almost like the real thing, but not quite there. And I, I kind of wish we'd cut it out. <laughs> you know, when I think about things that we're doing unnecessarily, I just kind of wish we'd cut it out or slow it down. But it comes from that same place that I was talking about of just keeping on. Like the people who are in those industries, they have that same feeling that I'm talking about that you experience when you're working out. Where like even when you reach a level where you've accomplished something, there's something inside of you that says, you know, I can keep taking it a step further. And so just like I was saying that you experience that with fitness and art, these guys who are developing robots, like that's the same feeling they have. Like these guys are incredible engineers. They're designing cutting edge robots. The sort of guy who gets into that, the sort of, the sort of guy who has the skills to do that, he's not going to stop. You know, it's not like there was some meeting and there was like some consensus where everybody was like, you know what, let's keep developing the robots. It's just that those guys are going to try to find the resources and do that no matter what, because they know they can take it a step further. And so I don't blame them for that. But it's sort of my argument about the science, which is just that sometimes we do have to stop. Sometimes we do have to like at least just level things out. And say, hey, we, we've reached a point where maybe we can just breathe. Do we need to push it further right now? Because I think that you need that even in your personal life. Like you need plateaus sometimes. Like I enjoy hitting plateaus because I'm like, you know what? This is a good chance for me to realize that I'm at a good place. And instead of just constantly feeling the need to push further, you think, well, maybe I have reached a point where I can just kind of settle here for a while. And if I decide that I want to keep pushing further later, I can still do that. But maybe kind of hitting a plateau is necessary right now. But on a civilization level, that's very difficult because there's always somebody doing something. And if we stop people from being able to do that, that's a problem too. So this is one of the issues. But when it comes to this uncanny valley effect, I do wish we could focus on that and just say, hey, maybe we don't need to keep doing this. Maybe we don't need to keep pushing in this direction. Because why is the goal to make things more lifelike anyway? Like that was always my problem with new video games. And like by new video games, I mean like by the time PlayStation 2 came out, which was like the last time I played video games. And uh, I was like, you know, why are they making the characters try to look more and more like real people? Like with RPGs in particular, it's it's a different it's different if it's like a, an action game or something. But that was my complaint about RPGs. Is like RPGs decided to start making the characters look more and more like real human beings, and I was like, this loses all of its charm. Like Final Fantasy VIII was a game where it's like everybody was tall and like they they looked closer to real people than any of those games had before. And I feel like that comes from the same place where like we as human beings, like we we're constantly trying to recreate our world. It's like the Alan Watts quote that I brought up recently and I bring up all the time, which is 
You know, like if you gave man the opportunity to recreate the universe, he would inevitably create the same one he lives in. And that's what plays out with all of these things. It's like these guys who can develop advanced robotics, their biggest goal is to just recreate life. Like they're trying to create robots that do what real creatures do. They're just recreating the universe. Even though they're doing something seemingly brand new, what they actually want to do with that is just recreate what already exists naturally. But they want it, they want to be able to say they did it. They want to prove that it's possible. And uh, you know, so much of what we do is like that, where we think that we're just trying to push it like video games again, where it's just it's funny to me that at some point video game developers in, in many cases, not always, I mean, there's, there's still quirky games, there's still weird graphics and all that, but it's at some point a lot of video game developers were like, we want this to seem as much like our reality as possible, which doesn't entirely make sense to me because I think people forget that you can do a lot in our present reality. So why do we need to recreate that? Why do we need to recreate our universe if we already have it? But I mean, I also don't believe in stopping people. That's a thing. I don't believe that I'm in a position to tell people what to do or not do. So who am I to say like, stop doing that. Stop developing AI. Stop trying to recreate living beings. Can't you channel this elsewhere? Because I wouldn't want anybody to say that to me. You know, that's you know, really like so much of my philosophy has ended up being like, how would you feel? How would I feel if they said that to me? Like parents teach their kids that they say, like, think about how you would feel if you if you walked a mile in his shoes. You know, that is a good way to think, though. Like, I think that way a lot. Like, how would I feel if somebody was trying to tell me the thing that I'm passionate about is stupid or bad or I shouldn't do it? Turns out there are people who say that, but, you know, just on a, on a cultural level right now, there's a lot of people saying that. But that just strengthens my conviction that I don't want them to do that to me, but I don't want to do that to them either. I don't want to stop somebody from getting too many plastic surgeries. I don't want to have to be the person who decides how many plastic surgeries a person should get. Because if, if I created a new religion right now based on this episode, one of the rules would probably involve like how many plastic surgeries you're, you're allowed to get before you sin, before you're, you're officially going to hell. You can get two plastic surgeries, but if you get three, you're going you're gonna to go to hell. No, but I don't want to, even though like I, I don't think people should do that, even though I don't think people should turn themselves into caricatures of a human being through cosmetic surgery, I don't want to be the person who tells them when to stop. And I already said, I don't want it to be illegal because you can do it. People are going to do it. It's like abortion where that's one of the dilemmas of abortion for me. Where it's just like, I've heard convincing arguments both ways, actually. But uh, 
I think it applies to plastic surgery as well, where it's like, I'm not so stupid that I think that plastic surgery should be outright illegal. We obviously need it for some people who've had bad things happen to their faces and we need to fix it. They were in car accidents. They were in war. And I also don't believe that somebody who just wants a smaller nose shouldn't be able to do that if they have the money. Because people can do that, because there are surgeons who can do that, and there are people who have the money to get that done, it's what they really want to have done, who am I to say they shouldn't do that? So you can see, it's, it's always tricky. But I mean, those people also serve as cautionary tales. And I mean, I just wouldn't want to be somebody who, when somebody looks at me, they go, oh... That person might be attractive. And then when they actually see me, they go, oh, that person's an android. That person's freaky looking. But that's something they have to live with. And I don't have to look at them. I don't have to look at them. But that's, you know, the entitlement. You know, we're all, we all feel so entitled. Like we feel entitled to not hear the things we don't want to hear, to not see the things we don't want to see. And we're in a time where we seek out more than we ever have. And we feel entitled to all of that stuff too. But I hope we catch ourselves before we go too far. Because I think there are a lot of uncanny valleys going on right now. And they might very well be one of the reasons people are out of their friggin' minds. Friggin'. The fact that we have to contend with so many things today that are almost like the real thing, but not quite there. And each one of those things gives us pause. Like each one of those things literally makes us pause so that we can figure out what we're going to think about it. And all of this modification we're doing to our bodies and our identities and all of it gives me kind of a pause when I see it. Not even a pause of judgment, just I kind of have to readjust. And I've seen all this stuff many, 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 many times, many, many, many. It's not that this is new to me. And that should tell you something. It should tell you something that something that isn't new to me still gives me pause. Still kind of makes me do a stutter step when I experience it. I mean, I didn't plan on getting into this, but, you know, earlier this week there was something, people were up in arms because the ACLU released a quote by Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And it was about women's bodily rights when it comes to abortion. But they changed the quote so that the word woman said person to accommodate this, you know, this flu, this ideology of just, you know, where, you know, other people have commented on, I don't, I don't even need to give my take. Just the way that I'm bringing it up should say everything, but it's like the fact that the issue isn't even that alone. It's the idea that they feel that they can change somebody's quote. And yeah, they, they put the new words in brackets, 
but they got in, they got rid of the original words entirely. They really did put words into her mouth. They removed the word woman and they replaced it with person and people because we now live in a time where people are saying that men can be pregnant too. All kinds of people who are not men and women can be pregnant too. That's kind of like I was saying a couple weeks ago where it's like it immediately puts you in a position where you're going to be accused of being non-inclusive or hateful, but it's like she was talking about women. She used the word women. She's dead now. Her quote referred to women. And when I talk about women, I'm talking about women. That's all I'm talking about. If you feel that I'm discluding other people, well, I actually am, because I'm talking about one sort of person. When you're talking about a specific sort of person, you refer to them a certain way. And it's one thing to compel people to talk that way now and moving forward, but we're at a point now where they're modifying famous people's quotes to fit the current ideology. You shouldn't do that. You should not do that. Goes without saying. And you know what that does? It creates a similar sort of effect to what I'm talking about here. That might as well be plastic surgery. That's basically the, the linguistic version of plastic surgery. To take a dead person's quote and change certain words to accommodate the current ideology. And for a... a respected institution, an institution that has been, you know, widely respected in our culture for a long time, for them to do that speaks volumes. But it's like I was saying when the Parkland victim's parents recreated him with AI so that he could do an anti-gun commercial. I can't tell those parents what to do. I mean, as far as I know, parents own the creative license of their deceased children. If anybody owns the creative license when it comes to representing their deceased child, I think the parents do. I don't want to tell those parents, hey, don't, don't recreate an AI version of your dead son so that he can do a political PSA. That's what I believe. I believe you should not do that. But I don't want to be the person who sits down. In the same way, I don't want to be the person who tells the person who's had too much plastic surgery... Hey, you've had enough. Your nose is barely, you look like a skeleton. I'm just telling you, I'm just going to tell you how it is. You look like a skeleton now. You know, I don't want to be the person who does that to the person who's gotten too much plastic surgery. I don't want to be the person who tells grieving parents what to do with their dead son's likeness. But I'm opposed to it. And, uh, you know, even just the, we've seen where people have done that with, not, not for PSAs, but where just more and more people are able to get AI versions of their deceased loved ones. 
I saw that in the news where a couple celebrities had it done where they were able to talk to like their deceased parents. I've, I've gone on at length about like the Tupac hologram and that we're living in a world now where somebody feels comfortable designing a fake version of a human being who's dead and making them perform for a paying audience. And not just that, we're doing plastic surgery to the AI. Because like the Tupac hologram that performed in front of audiences was way more ripped than Tupac. He was way more jacked. And Tupac was pretty jacked. Like Tupac was muscular. But they made his AI like a superhero. That's like changing Ruth Bader Ginsburg's quote. You know, it's like, and I don't even care about... Yeah, it's, you know, for me, it has nothing to even do with the message. Just the precedent that it sets. And we saw that last year when they changed that dictionary definition online. Like one of them, I don't want to get the wrong one. So I'll just say a major dictionary that used to publish, they probably still do. But one of the classic published dictionaries, that's now mainly a website. They changed the definition of a word after that, uh, after they were doing the whole like confirming the Supreme Court justice, like they changed the definition of sexual preference to make her look bad because somebody called her out for using the term sexual preference and somebody found that the day prior or the day of that hearing, there was nothing in the definition of sexual preference that said it was used pejoratively or that it was outdated. I've never heard that. But Amy Coney Barrett used the term sexual preference in this hearing where she was being, you know, interviewed basically. And one of the, somebody called her out and said sexual preference assumes that people are choosing being gay isn't a choice. And a lot of people were like, since when? You know, not, not since when is it a choice, but since when is sexual preference considered uh, inappropriate? It doesn't mean they chose it in the same way that like, I don't choose to like strawberry ice cream. I don't like strawberry ice cream. I don't choose to like chocolate ice cream more than strawberry ice cream, but it's still my preference. I didn't, I didn't decide one day that, oh, you know what? I'm going to decide that I like chocolate ice cream more than strawberry ice cream. I never made that decision. If it were up to me, I, I, I would just be into both of them. But I prefer chocolate ice cream over strawberry. Strawberry. So, I mean, sexual preference means the same thing, where it doesn't mean you decided to be gay. It doesn't mean you decided to be straight. It just means that's what you prefer. And like all of our preferences, they're just kind of innate. We like what we like. Same thing for musical preference. I have musical preferences, but they weren't a decision. Certain music is attractive to me. Being straight is my sexual preference. I didn't decide to be straight. I just find myself attracted to women. That's all it is. But I would still consider it a preference. It's still what I prefer. 
But the dictionary, a major dictionary, that night changed the definition to make her look bad. This is all real. This actually happened. This is one of those things that when it happened, I was like, this is going to get quickly forgotten. This is going to get quickly glossed over. But this is big. The fact that they did this. The level of collaboration that's going on behind the scenes. Or even if it was done arbitrarily, like even if just someone who worked for the dictionary, the, the people running it, even if they didn't do that in collaboration with political allies, if they even just thought to do that on their own to make her look bad, that's just as bad, if not worse in some ways. But when I saw like a dictionary get changed in real time to make a political figure look bad because they used a term that was because someone even looked into that because I was so interested in this. Someone even looked into whether there was any history of activists or anybody opposing the term sexual preference. And I think somebody found one paper. There was, there was very little about it though. It was certainly not common knowledge. And, you know, even though I don't buy into all that stuff, I've managed to keep fairly up to date on what people are saying. Cause as I've said, I kind of pay attention to what everybody's saying. I feel that it's, I kind of have to, like, I want to know what's, I want to know, I want to know what the people I disagree with are saying. I want to know what they're, what kind of ideas they're pushing. And I had never come across the idea that, that preference was a pejorative term, but the dictionary updated it overnight to say that it was considered a pejorative. And so the fact that now the ACLU is modifying Ruth Bader Ginsburg's quotes to include more than just women in the abortion debate. It's just, it's just a symptom of all of this. But it's no different than like making Tupac's hologram more muscular. Why did they do that? Tupac had like beautiful girlfriends. He had beautiful women in his life. He had a six pack, I think. He was, he was ripped. Tupac was shirtless like all the time. Everybody knows what he looked like. Why did you have to make the hologram even more muscular? Like who made that decision? Who made the decision to change Ruth Bader Ginsburg's quote? I disagree with all that stuff. And I do think we should stop that. Like even though I've been saying how I don't believe in stepping in and telling somebody, you've had too many plastic surgeries. I don't want to tell somebody what to do or not to do. I think the stuff that I'm talking about now is far more nefarious because they're basically doing plastic surgery on everyone. They're trying to do plastic surgery on everybody's minds. Brains, I think that's called brain surgery. <laughs> plastic surgery on your mind. No, I think that's called brain surgery. So that's basically what they're doing now is like they're trying to do brain surgery on people. And so much of it is happening at once. So much of it has been happening that it's very easy to forget that a major dictionary changed one of its definitions to suit a very specific political purpose. Because the Ruth Bader Ginsburg thing, at least changing her quote, has a much larger political purpose. Like that's part of a broad sweeping campaign that's been going on related to gender and sexuality. But with the dictionary, they changed that just 
to make this Supreme Court justice look bad and to hurt her candidacy because she hadn't been confirmed yet. So that was changed just for, that was like a single missile sent to one specific location. I can't accept that. You know, I can't accept that environment where it's okay to do that. And you could say that's always been done. I mean, they say history's written by the victors, history's written by men named Victor. For some reason, all historians are named Victor. No, but they, that's always been a thing. There's always been a show of force in how history is told and documented. We always get a biased view. There's always a certain amount of false information in history. But it's so fascinating to see people try to change it in real time. And to do it so obviously and blatantly. But these are the times that we live in. Where the uncanny valley seems to be kind of everywhere. And we haven't even seen the half of it. We haven't even seen the half of what people can or will do. And things are moving so rapidly, who knows, we could see it any day. We could see something truly reality warping any day. But it's clear our reality is being warped. There is a sort of surgery being performed on our, you know, just on our brains. It's psychic surgery. And I mean, a lot of people, if they focus on it, they'll lose their minds. Not everybody is built for the times we're living in, to be honest. You know, I'm not even saying I am. I'm not even, I'm not even putting myself higher up than anybody. But I guess what I do have in my favor is that I'm not shocked by it. I think the writing has been on the wall for a while. You know, I think as soon as just normal people started using the internet more often, I think the writing was kind of on the wall. When the internet became centralized and when the internet started to bleed into reality. And now not only is the internet fully centralized, but reality is becoming more and more just a mirror of the internet. A lot of people are noticing that now. But I think the, the signs have been there for a while. And the internet's a good place to kind of observe this uncanny valley effect. Like even just reading people's comments, you know, lately, not lately, but you know, in episodes not that long ago, I was just reading some comments online just as just an exercise. I was reading those comments about people who were upset at Eric Clapton over his anti-mask stance and just kind of pointing out the absurdity of these people and what they're saying. But sometimes when I look at the comments online, what I see is just the same comment over and over and over again, one after the other, from real people. And I've said before, like, I lean away from the whole NPC thing. I don't want to go out. It's, it's not good for me to have just like a default view that normal people are NPCs that people don't have thoughts of their own, that they're stupid or they're not aware. Like, it's not good for me. I want to give people the benefit of the doubt. 
Because if I view people as NPCs, and if you're not familiar with that term, it's, it's very common now. Like if I know it, it's very common. But NPC is, is like non-player character, and it would be like characters in a video game. Like in an RPG, if you go into a village and there's a bunch of villagers walking around and you talk to them and they say the same thing over and over again and it's always something really minor. It's always pointless. They're just like, oh, I sure hope the cows come home soon. There sure are a lot of monsters out there these days. We keep a treasure in Mount blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like they'll, they'll just give you like random facts. And usually, especially in old RPGs, if you talk to them, they say the same thing every time. It's basically like, like an RPG version of small talk. And so that, that term has become popular, non-player character, NPC, to describe just the way normal people operate in our world. And we all know who they are. Like when people says someone, when someone says that someone's an NPC, trust me, I know exactly what they're talking about. I just choose to fight that because it's so easy for me to see the world that way. And I spent so many years actually viewing people that way long before the internet. Like growing up, I tended to view people that way as NPCs. And I don't think it did me any help. You know, I don't think it, I think it actually gave me a much more sour, cynical view of the world. Because the truth is, is that even though I try not to think that way, I continually see it. But by, by, by kind of avoiding that way of thinking, I'm hopefully less, less of a jerk about it, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, like if you look at comments online, it's almost impossible not to get this sort of NPC effect where you like you look at like a post online by especially on Twitter or sites like that, where it's it's more just tons of people, just not Facebook where everybody knows each other in most cases, but like Twitter, where you're going to see like a lot of strangers and fans and random people replying to something. And like you'll see if somebody famous posts something, if you look at the comments Almost all of them are the same joke, the same observation, sometimes the exact same wording and language. And, and I mean, that's like another aspect of the internet too that's made things different is like a lot of people think they need to be comedians who don't need to be. And maybe I'm one of these. But you can see it like where the idea that like there's, there's a, there are a lot more people out there who make social media accounts and it's like they now think that they get to be funny or they are funny. But a lot of like what these sort of people joke about, it's just like quoting things. It's just it's just like making it's just like repeating a quote from a show. You know, it's 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 really just they have these slogans and quotes and slang in their head and it just comes out of them like it's nothing and they all do it and they're all saying the same exact thing. And it's, it's a very bizarre experience. And it happened to me the other night where I was looking at something. I don't even remember what it was. And I just decided to look at the comments and it was seriously just one after the other, tons of them, all of these very real people with real faces and names saying the same exact thing and thinking they were funny or something, thinking that it was like, it was like whatever was posted related to something else. And so they, there was some like way of talking that these people, I don't even know. I don't know. It's, it's beyond me. 
but I was just looking through it and I was like, each one of these people had the same thought when they saw this and they all thought that they needed to say it. And you can tell they probably didn't look. They didn't like look through the comments to see, because I mean, that's where I go. On the rare occasion that I comment on something online, I do it a little bit, you know, depending. But uh, one of the things I always think about is like, I want to make sure that nobody already said it. I want to make sure that I'm not just going to say what somebody else already said. Maybe that's my own vanity or ego. I don't know. It's unimportant. But it's crazy when you actually see this like brick wall of comments online and it's just the same thing over and over and over again. And you almost look at that and even though you're looking at somebody's real face, because these people always have, like the kind of people who do this, interestingly, are always people who are online under their real person. They're, they're using their real name and their real face because they have nothing to be ashamed of. They have nothing to hide and God bless them for that. But I've noticed that more often than not, it's like the people who are just being themselves. Like they don't have some internet persona. They're not being artsy. They're just like the normal people out in the world who, yeah, like I'm, it's, I'm going to have a picture of my face and my name and I'm just going to say the first thing that comes to my mind when I see this. And there's a million of me who are going to do this. And when you see that, it's hard not to think of those people as NPCs. It's hard not to think of those people as random villagers in an old RPG who say the same thing over and over again. You know, in a way, it's hard not to feel like they're androids. And now we're in some sci-fi movie where you think everybody else is an android. Now we're in Blade Runner. But not far off, really, when you think about it. Because, like, you see that. But then even then, you don't know. That's, a, that's the crazy thing, too, about all this. Is like, for example, like, when I upload new episodes of this, there's almost always a comment. Not, no, 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 not always. There's, there's almost always, like, a robot who likes it. Like, there's some sort of bot crawling the site with an account who likes the post. Sometimes it's a, it's a, a response. It's like, hey, you know, and because these aren't, because this show isn't music, like, but I upload it on a site that's used primarily to host music, these default, ro these robots give you these, like, default responses that are like, dude, this is a hot, this is, this song is fire. Like, they'll respond to a new night school and they'll say, this song is fire. Click on my profile if you want to promote it. You know, it's all this weird, like, robot promotion stuff. And so, so much of your experience online, you never really know. I mean, you know. I mean, you know if you're talking to a real person. That's a thing. It's kind of like the plastic surgery thing where once you actually look at it, you know. You know that they've done something really strange to their body. It's like that with robot comments where it's like you take a look at, like, a robot comment and you immediately know. You're just like, oh yeah, this is a this is a bot. And we have to deal with that a lot. Like we've already accepted that spam email is just a fact of life. You know, we've already and, and you know that was already going on with junk mail. You know, in your mailbox and all that. So it's not that the internet created that, but it just exposed us to a lot more of it. So we're contending with all of these fake. These like scripts and bots who are constantly trying to contact us. Like I still have a landline hooked up because just because when my mom died, there's just I just decided to keep it active in case anybody tries to contact her. And uh, 
the only calls I get on it are robots. They're bot calls. And so it's like so much of what we're dealing with, like, like we are, it's a barrage of bots and scripts trying to communicate with us all the time. These things that are disguising themselves as real people. They're disguising themselves as people emailing you. But you know right away. You have a sense for it. You know, you know that something is not quite right. And, and you recognize that almost right away. And so that's a whole other aspect of this where it's like, you know, you're getting hit with all of these fake people. And they're pretending to be people. And then you see what people are actually saying. Like Then you see what organic people, real human beings are actually saying. And they're all just saying the same thing by rote. And then I myself end up sounding like someone who's like, did you know people are sheep? Because the thing about the NPC thing, it's like everybody knows it sounds stupid to call people sheep. Like it's always, as long as I've been alive, it's been really embarrassing when someone's like, people are sheep, dude. There's never been a cool time for somebody to point that out. Even though it's something that we all contend with. Like we all contend with that feeling that people are sheep. But it's always been so embarrassing to call people sheep that I've never done it. And that's kind of how I feel about NPC, where it's like NPC, somebody figured out a new way to call people sheep. And that's kind of why I'm resistant to it. But it's hard because you see like where people are just repeating each other and saying the same thing and expressing themselves in identical ways. And they don't seem, and like when you see that online, what is the difference between that and a bot? Like, what is the difference between that and an android? Like, they might be a human being, but their programming is also similar. Like, it, and that's what it is. It, it is some kind of programming. And when you talk about this, you inevitably sound embarrassing. Like, I feel embarrassed to be talking about this. Like, people are programmed to all say the same things, man. People are programmed. What's the difference between people and androids, dude? You know, I, I don't like the way this sounds, but I guess I'm shocked at how far it's gone. I think that's how I would put it. I'm shocked to see how this is all developed. And that it's gone. I, I, I can't believe it's gotten to this point. I think that's where I'm at with it. Where even real people expressing themselves give you an uncanny valley effect. That's how you know you are in a sci-fi movie. When even the real people themselves, whether they've had too much plastic surgery and they might as well be some sort of artificial human being, they might as well be an android, or whether it's just the way somebody expresses themselves online, and that's not good. I mean, I think all of this plays into the sort of bloodlust that people have. The level of hostility. But I really, I, I sense a lot of bloodlust. I really sense a lot of bloodlust from people. You think about like civilizations and cultures throughout history eventually fight each other. Whether it's a civil war, you know, but there's a lot of people in this country who have never experienced that. There's a lot of people now who have never even come to blows. A lot of people who have never been in a fight. Stupid, sounds like a fight club quote, but 
it's true. You know, younger generations today, there's a lot of people who have never experienced real actual conflict, and I'm one of them. And I almost feel like there is something in us that says, hey, it's, it's been a long time since we've had some blood. It's been a long time since we've spilled some blood, the blood of our enemy. We've done this throughout history. Why aren't you doing it? Those people are liberals. Those people are conservatives. Those people are unvacked. Those people are vacked. And they want to force you to get vacked like them. You know, it's like you sense this bloodlust when people talk about all this. And I wonder how much of that is influenced by the fact that there's so much artificiality to who we are right now. Whether it's the way people look, what they're doing to their bodies, whether it's the way they communicate, the way they express themselves online. Because like, I have a rule where I don't let, I, I don't let autocorrect change the word for me. I retype it. And I know that's time consuming. Like if you live a life that's so busy that you can't do that, like, but I, I don't let autocorrect change the word. Like if I make a misspelling, I hit delete and I go back and I write it the right way. Like even if autocorrect tells me what, like even if I don't even know I'm making a misspelling and autocorrect is what tells me there's a mistake, I still don't let, in most cases, you know, yeah, sometimes I get lazy or sometimes I'm short on time, but I try to make it a point to, to do it myself. And I feel like it's, it's my way of like rebe rebelling against the AI. And I don't like the idea that it thinks it knows. Like I never let it finish sentences. I do not let my phone finish my sentences for me. If my phone can finish my sentence, I'm failing, <laughs> you know? Uh, and I don't use templates. Like I don't, I don't use preloaded responses. I feel like that feeds into it. I feel like that encourages it. And I would lose a part of myself if I gave into that. Because that's really the end of that sci-fi horror movie is when you yourself realize that you're the thing you are recognizing in everybody else. It's the android realizing, or it's the guy who's seeing androids everywhere realizing he's the android. This The silly, cliche sci-fi storyline. And it might not play out that literally, but I feel like when you give into that, when you find yourself being like, hey, you know what? I'm just going to let autocorrect change everything. I'm just going to let autocorrect finish my sentences. I'm going to let my phone do its thinking for me. When somebody posts something on Twitter, I'm going to say the first thing that comes to my head, even though it turns out it's the same thing that everybody else thought. I don't know. I don't think you should give in to that. I think that's kind of how you get pulled in psychically. You get used to that. You stop showing your work. And what is that? That's instant. All of that stuff that I'm talking about is instant. And that's what I've been getting at here entirely. There's something about things that are instant that don't feel right. And they actually end up feeling very wrong when people give in to those.
whether it's the instant gratification of too much plastic surgery. Oh, I can change myself. I can change a part of my body. I'm going to do it right now. I'm horny. I'm going to look at porn. I want that because I can do it right now. I have a pantry full of food. I'm going to go over there because I can do it right now. That's kind of autocorrect to me. It's like, this will fix my word right now. But my opinion, my opinion is that you lose part of your humanity, a tiny microscopic part. But my opinion is that you lose part of your humanity when you let something instantly autocorrect your word. You lose part of your humanity when you let your phone instantly finish your sentences. You lose something when you just respond with like a, a preloaded template. Hi, I'm busy right now. We'll text later. You know, there's preloaded templates in your phone where you just click a button and it'll say that to somebody. If a human being is contacting me, I want to respond with all of the humanity that I can because I'm already using this strange device to do it. So I want as much of myself to be in that as possible. Does this sound crazy? Probably. I don't care. It's how I feel. And it, it again goes back to when something gives you the ability to instantly do something. Yeah, sometimes you do it. Sometimes it's too convenient. Sometimes you just, yeah, you know what? I mean, here's a good example, like weed vapes. Like when I smoke weed now, I prefer the weed vape. It's just, it's, you, you hold a button down, you take a hit. You don't have to do any preparation. You know, it's not like loading a pipe is that hard. But still, this is just instantaneous. It's convenient. And part of that is because I, I, it's, I'm just not in that mode I was in when I was younger where I like to sit around smoking weed all the time. And so it's like just being able to take one little hit from this device is cool. It's instant. It's a different experience, but it's also a vice all around, you know, and you're going to use that. It's like I drive a car. It's like you could make the same argument. Oh, you know, driving a car gets you somewhere almost instantly. Like there's a store down the street. If I drive there, it takes me one minute to get there. If I walk, it takes me 15 minutes. You could say, oh, well, you shouldn't drive that car. Well, I kind of feel that way too. <laughs> but cars have become this necessary evil. Because the thing is, I guess that's my point too, is that so many things will become a necessary evil no matter what. Like you can't live in our society today without a phone. You can't live in our society today in many places without a car or some kind of automobile transportation, a bus at the very least. You know, there's a lot of places where you can't live without that. And so... The necessary evils are going to be in your life no matter what. So why feed into them further? Why give more of yourself up? Kind of how I feel about auto-driving cars. Self-driving cars where it's like, yeah, even if those get really good and they're safe, I don't know. I think we should be aware of the, I think we should be aware of our humanity while we're using that stuff. And... I think anytime there's suddenly something instant that you can do that you otherwise would have had to work to do, you shouldn't only appreciate it, you should appreciate it with reluctance. You should have some restraint and use it only when necessary.
or when you're truly out of time or just when you have to. Sometimes you need instant gratification. I'm not saying that you can live a life without it. I'm not saying you can live a life without convenience, but I think you can see where all of this takes some kind of toll. And when I look at people now and they really are just, they, they seem to be operating from a script. And I don't remember a time in my life where even, even when I was younger and I did kind of see people more as NPCs, like I was less hesitant to see people that way. And as a result, I, was, I, I had even bigger problems with people. But I don't remember them feeling like they were operating off this tight of a script. Like this script feels tight. And I think it is, I think it feels that way because people are online so much reading scripts. They don't realize that's what they're doing, but it's like they are online and they're all reading the same script. So when you look and you see comments and every single person is responding the same way, you go, oh, they all thought that they were the one playing that part. They all read the same thing. They all came across the same thing. They all thought they were the person who was supposed to say that line. So, yeah, my point of view on this is that the uncanny valley is all around us. And I don't think we're, I, I don't even think it's, I don't even know if it's far enough along for me to say that, but we're seeing it. We're seeing that that uncanny valley is showing up everywhere. But listen to yourself. When you interact with these things, when you interact with people, when you interact with the world, when you use technology, I think you have to do whatever you can to keep your humanity intact, to keep your individuality intact. And you do have to make a conscious effort to do it. Because the last thing you want, truly, the last thing you want is for other people to look at you and to say, you know, you seem almost human, but there's something a little off. You don't want to be part of the uncanny valley yourself. This land is mine God gave this land to me this brave, this golden land to me. And when the morning sun reveals her hills and plains, I see a land where children can run free. Take my hand and walk this land with me.